I just wanted to share, um, opening up, I wanted to share a short story that, that I, I got out of the, it's, it's a book by Stephen Pyle called The Incomplete Book of Failures. And he writes, The Most Unsuccessful Prison Escape. That's the title of his article. And he, it, it, this is just a summary of what he writes, uh, that after weeks of careful, extremely careful planning, 75 convicts um, completely failed to escape from the Saltillo prison in northern Mexico. So on um, April 18, 1976, guided by pure genius, their secret tunnel came up. They were, diggling, they were digging and digging, and I think they started in 75. So in 76, they finally got to the end, and, and, they, and they knew that they were going to break through. So they finally break th- broke through on April 18, 1976, only to find out that they came up in the nearby courtroom, which most of them were sentenced in years earlier. And so they were all promptly arrested and put back in jail. Now, this is an epic failure on a grand scale because from what I understand, I mean, I don't know, I've never tried it, but from what I understand, telling your way out of prison seems like a lot of hard work, right? I mean, you have limited tools at your disposal. I'm not aware that you're allowed to keep shovels or pickaxes or jackhammers in your cell. So, you know, imagine what they have to work with. And you can only work, really, when the guards are not around, right? So you've got to wait till they're gone at night. I mean, I don't know. I've, I've seen a few uh, prison escape movies and stuff. So uh, they always work at night, you know, and they always have, like, little spoons and, you know, just whatever they could gather together. And they're always digging in hot, cramped quarters, you know. And it's just tedious work. And so these prisoners invested a lot of time and effort into their plan, only to find out that they had gone in the wrong direction. But it's amazing how life presents us with situations in which we are unsure of which direction we should take as well. And really when the stakes are highest, when the, th- when the circumstances are dire, when the need is most important, there's a lot of pressure for us to make the right choice, right? To find the right direction, to, to, to go the right way. And so I believe this is why uh, books like Proverbs are so valuable to us, right? Proverbs falls into a category, if you were to categorize it, called wisdom literature. And what I mean by this is um, wisdom literature is designed to just partake or impart, excuse me, a bit of wisdom to its reader. And wisdom is designed to show us how to live successfully, right? To not mess up. You know, Solomon wrote most of the Proverbs, and we know that God gave him great wisdom, right? Solomon had the great, the great vision and the encounter with God, and, you know, God asked him, you know, if he could have one thing, what would it be? And he chose wisdom to lead God's people. And God was moved and impressed by that, and he, he granted him that wisdom. So the wisdom contained in Proverbs is wisdom inspired by God. It's not just that Solomon was this wise or um, intelligent man of his own accord, but this was wisdom imparted by God that Solomon conveyed to us through the book of Proverbs. And here's one of the most important pieces of advice Solomon gives in the book of Proverbs, arguably maybe the most important piece of advice. 
And it's found, found in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. One simple verse. And I'm sure we're all very familiar with it. It happens to be one of my wife's favorite verses. So it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Pretty simple. And honestly, if you could sum up the whole book of Proverbs, you could sum it up in that one statement. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your, on your own understanding. So Solomon was instructing us that a person should put all their trust in God instead of trusting in themselves, trusting in their own abilities. So I just want to take a moment here and just kind of delve into this verse and dissect it just a bit. Because I believe that it's important that, um, that when we share a message from up here that we show that this is not my wisdom, but it is coming from Scripture. This is from God, not from me. So trust in the Lord. Uh, trust, um, as it's being used here, the word just means uh, to express a sense of well-being and security. So it's a feeling of well-being and security that comes from having someone to place confidence in. That's really fitting in this, in this uh, verse. Expressing a sense of well-being and security that comes from having someone to place our confidence in. That's what trust means in this, in this, uh, in this verse. And to trust the Lord with all your heart. So put all your confidence in the Lord. And you will have that sense of well-being and that sense of security. So not just putting part of it. But we have to completely, completely trust God. And sometimes that doesn't come easy, does it? Because what? We have our own understanding of the situation. And that's, what, that's what's dealt with in the negative part of this uh, verse. He says, don't lean on your own understanding. And the understanding that he's talking about here is the knowledge we gain through experience. So fact-gathering, perception, our senses... What are, what are we seeing uh, about the circumstances that we're facing? What are we thinking about the circumstances that we're facing? What does our past experience teach us could possibly happen during that time? So we shouldn't lean on that. We should put all our trust in God in all situations. So Solomon really here is talking about our ability to understand. And in other words, he's saying, we shouldn't be too confident in our ability to figure things out on our own. And if life has taught me anything, it's taught me that that's a true statement. Amen? So I wanted to share um, and focus on how this is illustrated in Scripture. And I believe that one of the greatest ways that this is illustrated in Scripture is the story of Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13 is about... Um, when God commanded Moses to send out the 12 spies to spy out the promised land. And so he sends out the 12 spies, right? He picks 12 people, two of which are Joshua and Caleb, and other ones are not so well-known people, but they send out 12 of them. And they go out, the, the spies go out into the promised land. This is when they're still, you know, they haven't entered yet. They're waiting to enter into the promised land. So they're waiting kind of outside the promised land, looking in, and God's saying, just 12, send 12 people to go check the place out. So they send the 12 spies out, and they all check it out. They take their time. They come back, and they report back to the whole 
you know, the whole congregation of people. And there's two very different reactions. We have ten people on one side who have one particular reaction, and Joshua and Caleb who react in a very different way. And so I wanted to highlight that this morning because it really just illustrates what Solomon is talking about in this verse. And I'm going to read to you Numbers 13, uh, verses 30 and 31, because this just highlights, this, this tells us what their reaction was. And it said, Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we shall surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. So which of these trusted in the Lord, and which used his own understanding of the situation? We face decisions and situations all the time that make us uncomfortable. Because when we look at them at face value... Some of the circumstances that we face may be too big for us. Challenges may be too difficult for us. And some things are beyond our control or beyond our understanding. We just don't, don't know how to deal with it. And odds are you've probably faced many of these situations in your own life, and I know that I have too. Maybe you've faced relationship issues. Maybe you're facing a relationship issue now. You know, relationships can get pretty complicated, Right? You know, there's no simple fix or simple answers to relationships. And the thing that makes the relationships the most difficult is we really have control over one person, and that's us. We don't have control over any of the other people in those relationships. So it's very difficult to have confidence in those, in those types of situations. What about health issues? You know, we can do only so many things to control our health. We can take vitamins. We can exercise. We can eat the right foods and have the right diet. We can go to the doctor. But as we all know, we can do all those things and still health problems arise. Things beyond our control. We can't control that. Real financial issues. Again, we can take so many steps to protect our finances, right? We can save. We can pay off our debt. We can make all the right choices. We can tithe and still, you know, as they say, um, fortunes can be gained and lost in a day, right? I mean, it can be gone that quickly. Sometimes we just face situations where it's difficult serving God. Sometimes we live in a place or work in a place where um, it's difficult for us to live out the gospel. And maybe some of you have faced this before where, you know, you're in a situation where maybe your boss is asking you to do something that you know is against what you believe you should do as a Christian. And maybe you're in that situation thinking, God, I want to serve you, but at the same time, I'm afraid to lose my job. Maybe you face challenges finding ways to spend more time or just to spend enough time with God. You know, we all know that life is difficult, life is busy, especially in our society. We just, you know, cram every nook and cranny of time with something to do. And in our heart of hearts, we want to serve God, 
And we want to take the time that we need to devote to God. And sometimes things just don't go our way. Maybe we intend to get up in the morning and maybe we intend to spend time with God. And then all of a sudden, you know, maybe maybe we're having problems getting the kids out of bed and they don't want to get dressed. And or maybe the alarm alarm doesn't go off or we oversleep. And then all of a sudden we don't have enough time to do everything we intended on. Maybe schedules change. Maybe, maybe circumstances change, and we find ourselves in a place where we just we really want to serve God. We really want to spend that time with God, and our heart is longing for it, but we just don't know how to do it, how to make it happen. Maybe God is calling you deeper. We can't know everything that there is to know about God, can we? We'll never know everything that there is to know about God. I will never fully understand his love for me. I'll never fully understand what Jesus really accomplished on the cross. We have scriptures and scriptures and and books and books and so many things written about what Jesus accomplished on the cross, yet none of them ever fully encompasses what he did on the cross. We can never go too deep in our relationship with God, can we? We can always go deeper. We can always experience more. We can always draw closer to him than where we are right now. And maybe God is challenging us to do that, but we don't know how. We don't know how to accomplish that. What do I do? Do I pray more? Do I fast more? Do I go to church more? I don't know. Maybe he's calling you to do something for him. That seems bigger than you. Maybe he is calling you and challenging you to go to the next level in your in service to him. Maybe it's a ministry that he's calling you to, to do. Maybe it's just caring for somebody that he's calling you to do that. That may require a lot of extra time and a lot of extra effort. And it seems a little bit overwhelming. You just don't know how you're going to do it. When situations like these come along, they, they just they threaten to up the, upset the status quo that we work so hard to maintain. Right? We want our lives to be smooth sailing. We do. And, and we work hard to accomplish that. That's why we that's why we do all the things that, that are healthy for us. That's why we make all the try to make all the right decisions anyways with our finances, with our relationships. We try our best to do that because we don't want to upset the status quo. We want everything to be smooth sailing. And so when something comes along, when life throws something at us that challenges to upset the status quo, we react, right? And by the way, you know, as human beings, we're programmed to react. We are programmed to react. When, when some bad news comes along or, or when somebody challenges us or when something threatens us, what happens? Our heart our heart starts uh, beating faster. You can feel all your, yourself getting a little sweaty. Uh, your palms are getting a little sweaty. Your adrenaline is pumping. And that's just a natural physical reaction. That's called our, our fight or flight response. And that's just a physiological reaction that takes place in our bodies. And it helps us to react to outside threats to ourselves. So we're programmed... We are programmed um, to protect ourselves. We are programmed 
um, for self-preservation. So that's what happens. You know, we have these life circumstances. We have these situations arise. And as soon as that happens, our self-preservation instinct kicks in, right? And we start thinking and our mind goes a a mile a minute and our, our heart starts pounding a mile a minute. And we want to react. We want to take some action. But reactions like these cause us to respond like the other ten spies rather than Joshua and Caleb. Because I'll tell you in this story, if you haven't read it or you're not familiar with it, this is the kind of things that they saw. When they went into the promised land, they did see a land flowing with milk and honey. They did see that. In fact, they brought some of the fruits of the land back, right, to show everybody else, saying, you're not going to believe it. This land is great. It's fertile. It has all these things growing. Oh, it's awesome. But they also saw nations of powerful people, and they described some of them as giants, right? And they even said, you know, these ten, as they were talking about what they saw, they said, we're just looking, we, we would just be like grasshoppers to these people they are so big. And they saw fortified cities with walls and defenses. So, based on that, what was their understanding of the situation? Yeah. Based on that, they decided they wouldn't be able to enter the promised land because they would not be able to defeat the people living there. And so... You see this great turmoil when they come back. It's interesting to read the story because these 12 come back, and the 10 are the first people to pipe in, and they say, oh, yeah, the land is great. It's awesome, but there's these giant people there and all these fortified cities with all these defenses and walls, and we're never going to be able to do it. Let's, let's just skip it and stay here. But what was the result for these 10 people? Well, for these ten people, they died of a plague. And the Israelites, the rest of the congregation, because they believed these people's report, they would never enter the promised land, but they would die in the wilderness. That's because they leaned on their own understanding, their own perception of what was going on. They looked at the circumstances, and they didn't trust in the Lord with all their hearts. And the interesting thing about that is, was not only did these ten perish, but they caused the whole nation, basically, to perish in the wilderness. None of them, one one whole generation anyways, perished in the wilderness and did not get to see the promised land. Even though they lived through everything that happened in Egypt, all the plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, Everything. And they get here, and they don't have any faith in God, and they all perish in the wilderness. I don't know about you, but I don't want to perish in the wilderness, and I certainly don't want to die of a plague. Maybe that might be your thing, but it's not mine. So, how do we lean on our own understanding? In what ways do we tend to lean on our own understanding? Whenever we face a decision or trial in our lives, 
the first thing that we start doing is we start really dwelling on it, right? We start thinking about it. And I'm not talking about just a casual thought, but we think about it, and we think about it, and we think about it. Depending on how important it is or how serious the circumstances might be or um, how big of a threat it is to us, we really start thinking about it. And it, it really sometimes it even can take over our thought life altogether. You know, we're, we're thinking about these situations. We're thinking about uh, these challenges when we're at work, when we're at home. You know, when we're driving the car, we're thinking about it. What should I do? Where should I go? When we're standing in line at Walmart, we're thinking about it. We are. And sometimes it causes, we, we get so fixated on things that, and I'm not, I know I'm not the only person that does this or has done it. We're up at night, right? One, two, three in the morning, and our wheels are spinning and spinning and spinning, and we can't go to sleep. Even though we want to, we can't. Why? Because we're, we're fixated on it. We're thinking about it. Our, our self-preservation mechanism has kicked in. Our adrenaline is pumping, and we've just got to figure this out. We've got to come up with an action plan, and we've got to figure it out. And so that's the initial stage that we go into, and we naturally just transition right into that without even realizing it sometimes. And then what do we try to do? We try to gather up all the facts, right? We're, you know, we're, we're fact-finding, we're, we're uh, hypothesizing. What do those test results show? What do the doctors say? What do I need to do to come up with the money that I need to pay this bill? What are the pros and cons of making this choice or making that choice? So that's kind of the second stage in the progression. We're thinking about it, we're thinking about it, and then we start thinking, okay, what can I do about it? How do I fix this? Where can I go? What can I do? And then after that, we start talking, right? Start talking to people. Hey, honey, what do you think I should do about this? I don't know. I, what, what do you want to do? What is your suggestion? I think we should do this, but what do you think? Or we'll go to our friends. I don't know. How do you think I can fix this? I really screwed up this time. My wife's going to kill me. How do I fix it? What do you think I should do? Or we start watching Oprah. What should I do, Oprah? Or do we go to our parents? Or do we go to our pastors? And we're talking. We're talking with people. Now, some of this can be therapeutic, especially talking with people. And, and we can... Um, we can gain encouragement and we can gain comfort from talking with people. But we should not rely on the wisdom of other people over trusting in God. Because you know what? Sometimes people are very well-intentioned and they care very much about you. But sometimes those feelings override the things that come out of our mouths. And so we really need to trust in the Lord. Because you know what? When you go to these people, nine times out of ten, they haven't prayed about it yet. They haven't had an opportunity to hear from God. You're talking to them. They're responding. Now, I'm not saying that that's, 
that's a hard and fast rule in all situations and that God can't use a person to speak into somebody's life. But normally, we're too fast to go there. And so then, it's only that we've, after we've leaned on our own ability to understand that we turn to God, right? So either one of two things happens. One, we decide the situation is hopeless. Ah, well, I've tried everything else. I guess I better try God now. Now, we don't say that, but that's, that's basically what happens, right? Ah, I've tried everything else. I guess I better go to God. Duh. Or number two, we do this. Okay, I've got this really good plan. Now, God, if you can only do this, this, and this to make it happen, everything's going to turn out all right. Right? Yeah. God, I've got this great plan. Now, if you could just get on board and do all the things that I need you to do, we'll get this hammered out. And it'll be done in no time, right? So we come up with a plan, and we want God to get on board. But you know what? I've tried that. It doesn't work out too well sometimes. But we need to be more like Joshua and Caleb. You see, Joshua and Caleb saw the same things the other ten did. But they reacted in a very different way. Joshua and Caleb went to the same place. They saw the same thing. They saw the land flowing with milk and honey. They, they brought back some of the fruit of that land. But they also saw the people there. They saw that some of them were big. They saw that they lived in fortified cities. But they had a very different reaction, didn't they? They trusted in God and not in their own understanding. In Numbers 13.30, you know, Caleb even goes on to say, you know, he basically says, you know, after the ten say, oh, we can't do it, we can't do it, we can't do it. They're too big. The cities are too fortified. Caleb says, ah, forget that. Let's go and we'll conquer them. Let's go. Come on. It's as simple as that. Don't worry about what they're talking about. God says we're going to do it, and we're going to do it. And what's the result? We heard the results of what happened to the ten. What happened to Joshua and Caleb? Well, Joshua and Caleb were spared the plague. And ultimately, those two were maybe the only two, perhaps, from that generation, or one of the handful of people from that generation that were able to enter the promised land. So they actually saw the promised land, and Joshua was the one that let them in, right? Why? Because they trusted in God and did not lean on their own understanding. You see, for Caleb, the circumstances didn't figure into the equation. The circumstances didn't even figure into the equation. He saw the things that the others did. He just didn't pay attention to them. He didn't let them. Bo- he didn't let it bother him. He didn't start thinking and uh, fact finding and talking to others and saying, oh, "What are we going to do? What are we going to do?" He just trusted in the Lord. The Lord said, "I'm going to give you this land." And the people were kind of balking at what the Lord was telling them. So he said, "Okay, send twelve people in there. Check it out for yourselves." 
So the Lord had already told them he's going to give them the promised land. And for Caleb and for Joshua, that was simple. Okay, we'll go check it out. There's some giant people in there, fortified cities. Okay, let's go do this. Simple as that. They trusted in God and not in their own understanding. See, I believe that Caleb was not thinking about what they were facing or what he was facing or what the Israelites were facing. But I believe he was focused upon who God is. Amen? I think he was focused on who God is. Who is God? I mean, what are God's attributes? He's all-seeing. He can see everything, right? Forwards, backwards, upwards, downwards, behind us, in front of us. God can see the future. God can see the past. God can see the present. God can see everything. And that's the God who told him to go into the promised land. God is all-knowing, right? He knows what's going to happen. He can see what's going to happen when they, when they march in there. He knows how the battle ends. He knows how the story ends. God's all-knowing. God's all-powerful, right? That's the God that told him to go into the promised land. We're facing giants, fortified cities. Great. Well, we have an all-powerful God. Nobody's more powerful than him, and he's the one that's telling us to go in there and that he's going to go with us. That's the God who's going in there, so let's do it. God's a loving God, right? He'll never leave us or forsake us. They're not going to get in there and and get up against these fortified cities and not be able to break down the walls or not be able to defeat these people. And then God's just going to say, oh, well, this is a disaster. I'm going to get out of here. God is a loving God. He would never lead them into a place where they would perish. God's a sovereign God, right? The sovereign God, the God that is in control of all things, is the one that told us to go in there. God has a plan, right? God has a plan for each and every one of us. That's the God who told me to go in and take the promised land. I don't know how we're going to defeat these giants. I don't know what we're going to do about the walls and the defenses of these cities. I don't know what we're going to do. But God has a plan, so I don't have to. That's the God that told me to go into the promised land, and that's how I know that we can do it. Not based on the circumstances, not based on what's going on, but because God told us and God is with us. God gave us the direction. All I have to do is do it. Now, I'm sure that we've all had this kind of trust in God every single day of our lives, right? We've never had a a moment where our trust may have flittered or fluttered or maybe even fizzled out a little bit, right? We've all had the trust of Caleb and Joshua. Well, I'd be a liar if I said that I did, so... Just think about it a moment. And, and this, really, this really challenged me to think about myself. As I was writing this, it, it challenged me to think about, think about this myself and saying, I said to myself, when I go into situations, when I'm faced with circumstances or decisions in my life, when I need direction in my life, do I always completely trust God? 
And I had to be honest with myself and say, no, I don't. I don't always completely trust God. I would like to always completely trust God. I would like to say to you with all confidence that every day of my life, I completely trust God. I'm like Caleb in every situation, in every circumstance. It's no sweat. But I have to be honest, and I don't completely trust God all the time. So what about you? And I'm not, you know, this is just a moment just to quickly assess your own heart. Do you completely trust God, or sometimes do you tend to lean on your own understanding? And if so, and here's the most interesting question, which one are you when the stakes are the highest? Which one are you when the stakes are the highest? Do you trust in the Lord with all your heart, or do you lean on your own understanding? I believe that we could all learn to trust God more. I think we all could. And, it, you know, it's, it's a learned thing. It's not something that comes naturally to us. I told you what comes naturally to us is let's get our dukes up, get our adrenaline pumping, and let's figure out this situation. Let's take some action. That's, that's a spiritual discipline that's learned to trust God. So I wanted to share this kind of illustration with you. My wife and I are huge fans of roller coasters. We love roller coasters. In fact, one of the first things we did, um, we went to, early in our relationship, we went to Six Flags together. But the Six Flags in Texas, not the Six Flags up here. And um, that's how I found out we were both on the same page with roller coasters. Because she didn't want to go to the teacups and neither did I. I wanted to go to the one with twists and turns, it goes fast, you hang upside down, you go through corkscrews and loop-de-loops and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, yeah, bring it on, let's do it. And then we get off, we're going to run back in line and do it again. It's awesome, love them. But, to enjoy these rides, you have to trust the safety features designed to keep you securely in your seat during the ride, don't you? You do. You have to trust those. And and the ones who don't are very easy to spot, right? Because they're the ones that are screaming in terror, their eyes closed, and they're white-knuckling, you know, gripping onto the safety harness. Ah! They look like they're dying, right? They're like, please don't die. (laughs) And the ones who do trust the security features are also easy to spot, right? Because they're the ones with eyes wide open. They're usually either laughing or screaming, but in excitement, not in terror. And they got their hands up, right? They're in the front seat with their hands raised, and they're not hanging on at all. That's me. And that's my wife, too. I love it. So sometimes, what, and I have a point here. Sometimes we need to just let go and trust that the God who said he will keep us will do just that. Sometimes we have to learn to trust the safety features and let go. It's easy to say, difficult to do, right? So how do we do that? 
How do we do that? Practically speaking, how do we do that? Well, this is something that I've had to work at. Because I know I'm supposed to trust in God, but my initial reactions are, I'm going I'm to do something about this, and I want to take control. So I usually do three simple steps. Number one, I resist the urge to take action, and I pray first. Because when something happens, my brain goes a mile a minute. And I'm kind of a thinker anyways. I'm always thinking about stuff. I think that annoys my wife a little bit because oftentimes she'll be talking to me and I'll be thinking about something else. My mind will be in outer space somewhere. And um, then she realizes that I'm not listening and gives me a nice little nudge like, but I am. I'm kind of a thinker, so I'm. You know, when things ha- when things pop up, I'm already trying to analyze the situation. What should I do? How should we handle this? And sometimes I literally have to consciously stop myself. Say, no, no, no. I need to pray first. I need to seek the Lord first. I need to pray for direction in this situation. And I'm not gonna. I'm gonna try my best not to think too much further about it until I receive that direction from the Lord. Now, sometimes that doesn't happen right away, right? But this is where you got to trust the safety features, right? This is where you got to let go. Sometimes God won't give you direction right away. And you got to wait on him. Wait on God for direction. So that's the second thing. Pray first. Ask God, what should I do? Uh, second thing, wait on God for direction. And here's the thing. If you're too busy thinking about it or talking about it, you're not doing enough listening. So I'm sure many people have tried it. You can't talk and listen at the same time. You just can't. So if you're talking about it, if you're thinking about it, you're not listening. And that's the hard part. Resisting that urge, remaining calm, Trusting the safety feature, and now I got to be quiet and I got to listen. Again, things that are going completely against our nature. And while we're doing this, our flesh is going to scream out, but you got to do something. And you are. You're trusting in the Lord with all your heart. And the third thing you got to do is. Trust in his direction. Because, you know what, I've prayed about direction sometimes, and I've prayed about things oftentimes, and the Lord tells me, he, he finally, you know, in that moment where he gives me direction, I'm, I'm going, huh? That doesn't make sense. I don't get it. I don't see it. I don't see how all the pieces fit together. And so... I start not only analyzing the situation, I start analyzing God's response. I, I don't get it. I don't see how that's going to work out, Lord. We've got to trust in his direction. You know, God told the 12 spies, go into this land. I know that there's giants. I know there's fortified cities. But don't worry. You're going to take it. Coincidentally, this was not a people with a well-trained army. They had just been slaves for 400 years, so... They didn't come out with military training and all sorts of weapons and chariots and, you know, all sorts of things like that. They were not conditioned for warfare really hardly at all. 
But Caleb and Joshua trusted in the Lord with all their heart. They didn't lean in their, on their own understanding at all. So what I would say to you is if you're facing a trial or an important decision, we need to trust in the Lord with all of our heart as well and not lean on our own understanding. I always say this, and this is, this is a tried and true fact. When I was younger, I used to think I knew it all. But life has taught me I don't even know the half of it. Amen? So if we believe God is who he says he is, we can trust him instead of trying to figure everything out for ourselves. Because I thought I had already done that in my late teens and early 20s. And then by my late 20s, early 30s, I had realized, whoa, I was way off. we got to lean on God. we got to trust in God and not lean on our own understanding. I wanted to share this story with you. It's about uh, a woman and her husband trying to have children. And I'm just going to read it. It's, uh, it, it's written um, by uh, the actual woman who experienced this. Uh, so it's her kind of testimony. And it appeared uh, in the Christian Reader uh, in 2000. It said, The doctor told Marcia, Mark, and her husband they would never have biological children. In their disappointment, Marcia clung to a friend's words. Somehow God's going to use your struggle with infertility for his glory. So Marcia began to pray for a glimpse of that glory. I asked everyone I knew to pray, she said. She said, one five-year-old pray, Dear God, please send Marcia a baby. Maybe someone could give her one or just could find one on the street. But hey, that kid was not assessing the situation, right? He was just trusting in the Lord that this could happen anyway, anytime, anyhow. Marsha's husband, Tom, is a, was a scientist, and he stopped praying when Marsha showed, showed signs of menopause. Tom had seen lots of data, and in his lifetime, he'd never seen prayer change scientific facts. Six months later, Marsha made an appointment for another pregnancy test. The doctor said no because Marsha hadn't had a period for seven months. Asking for another pregnancy test indicates that you are not accepting things as they are, the doctor said. Marsha begged for the test anyways, and it came back positive. And now they have a wonderful baby girl. So who trusted in the Lord their God with all their heart, and who relied on their own understanding of the situation. It's easy for us to do. And, uh, you know, as we close this service, I just want to take some time because I really felt strongly that the Lord wanted me to, to preach this message. So I'm believing that there's a reason for that, that there are some people out there, there are some people in this place right now that are facing circumstances, facing issues, facing challenges or decisions they have to make in their lives. And you've been thinking about it, and you've been worrying about it, and you've been talking to people about it, and you've been planning how you would address the situation. And I would encourage you today to trust in the Lord your God with all your heart. So I just want to take a moment and give us all a time to refocus. If your focus is on the circumstances, 
or your plan or what somebody said or what some report or, or test indicated. Take your focus off of that and put it on God. So I just want to take maybe five, five minutes that we can all enter in and pray to God. And if you really need to, focus on God in this moment. just thank you for your love, O oh Lord God. And you know that that sometimes we're weak, Lord God. Lord, we have every intention of trusting you. But sometimes we're weak. Sometimes it's difficult to trust you, and sometimes we just flat out fail at trusting you. Sometimes we go in the wrong direction. times we're just planning and formulating and and worrying and not listening and trusting in you. Thank you, God, that you still have grace on us, that you don't let go of us, but that you keep us. Lord, you're you're our safety harness in this roller coaster of life. And you keep us. You keep us from stumbling. You keep us from going too far off the path. And Lord, when we realize our own folly, our, our mistake of, of uh, being defensive and trying to handle everything and understand everything ourselves, Lord God, your grace covers us. Thank you for being on our side. Lord, I pray for each and every person to hear that needed direction, that needed to hear from you, O oh Lord God, that just needed to refocus on you and stop worrying about things, I just pray for them. Lord, that you continue to work in their lives. Lord, that if they're still waiting on direction, that you give it to them. Lord, that they would have peace, the peace that passes all understanding, that passes their understanding of all the circumstances. Lord, we're going to thank you in advance for what you're going to do. I just want to pray that you would be glorified through all these circumstances. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.